I am so excited about being here this evening, and I am pumped about the topic that I have been assigned. Help me to know, Lord, help me to know that I am saved. I mean, that's a great topic. That is a great a great topic to meditate on for a few minutes in the middle of a busy week, in the midst of work and school and summertime play and summer camp. Man, I love Backwoods Church Camp. My kids are going to be there. At least I think two or three of them will be there next week. So make sure they behave, Daryl. If they get out of line, you have my permission just to whack them on the back of the head, wherever. Just backside, just let them have it because they're not perfect. None of us is, right? I thought there's some great questions to think about. Every human being on earth needs to think. If they want to be successful in all areas, especially spiritually, we need to be thinking about where we came from, about where we are going in life, after life, how do we get there, what our purpose is, what I need to do to make my maker happy. You know, if there is a God doesn't it make sense that if He created us that we should want to know what our Creator wants us to do? I mean, doesn't that, that just make sense whether you believe the Bible is the Word of God or not. That just, that just makes sense. You know, it makes sense to ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? It makes sense to ask the question, how can I know that I am saved? Man, that is so fundamental to, uh, to life, to our existence. Let me, before I begin the slides, let me just say that it's concerning that so many of Jesus' people don't seem very confident about their life in Jesus. And what I mean is, of all the people on earth, who should be confident that they're going to heaven? Who should be confident that we have eternal life? That we are going to receive in a more realized way eternal life one day? That we are saved? And yet, do you know the answer that I seem to hear or that you know we kind of hear rumbles of sometimes is, well, I, I hope so. I just saw it mouthed. I hope so. I think so. I might be. I want to be, I don't know. Several years ago, I guess this was maybe 20 years ago or so, I uh, did a survey in a congregation of about 200 people. And, uh, you know, a lot of good folks, good, good people in, in, uh, up in uh, the great state of Tennessee. Not that I'm a Tennessee Vols fan or anything like that, but hey, a lot of great folks up there. And I did this survey, asked all sorts of questions. You know, I didn't mean for it to be threatening whatsoever. Asked a number, I mean, questions, everything, I mean, just all sorts of things. Things like from, do you read the bulletin that the church publishes to, you know, uh, do you read your Bible on a fairly regular basis? And, and then the very last question was, it, it, it hit, it was pretty hard hitting. It was, if you died today, would you go be with Jesus? Would you go to heaven? Would you be in paradise? I was surprised that 9% of them, I was very, very, very surprised. I, I gave it to the, uh, the junior and senior high class all the way through the oldest adult class, every class from 7th grade and up. 
and 9% said no, they would not. My hope is that they changed, that they repented, that, that if, they, if they were Christians, they worked on getting their life right with the Lord. And if they weren't, that they were some of the ones who soon became Christians. That shocked me, but I, I was also very, very surprised that 50% of those in the church said they did not know whether they would go to inherit eternal life. And 40% said yes, they would. It, it's, a, it's amazing to me that when you ask that question out in the world, like in our quote-unquote Christian nation where there's so many, you know, a, a large percentage of people who claim to be Christians. You ask that to, uh, to people randomly on the street and you're more likely, in some cases, you're more likely to get, maybe in a lot of cases, to get the answer, yes, I'm going to go to heaven sometimes than we get in the church. Now, so, sometimes that may be because what we're teaching and preaching and maybe we're not preaching enough on how great our God is how awesome Jesus is, um, how our God is a God of grace. I don't know all the reasons why the numbers were the way they were in that particular survey. But what I know is this, is that salvation for the child of God should not be some kind of I hope so pie in the sky, by and by kind of I might be saved. I thought when Jesus came to earth, He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Set us free from sin. That's the context there in John chapter 8. So that we might inherit eternal life. I thought that, that John said, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of the God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So, hey, I, I'm right there with you as far as we, we wonder, how can we, how can we know this? And let's see if we can get that slide to advance there. That's another great question. How can I get this? Can you advance it back there? Or maybe that will be just the slide for the evening right there. Maybe, you know, maybe I didn't work it right. I'm not the greatest remote worker in the world, okay? So, you know... We sit here and we think about questions like this and, and sometimes we can get kind of stirred up. Maybe we should be. I mean, hey, if these kind of questions can't get us stirred up, what can? Can you back it up one slide? I know that I am saved. Here's number one. Because I know that God exists and the Bible is His Word. Now you may say, Eric, how do you know that you're saved just because you know that? Well, let me ask you this. Can you be saved not knowing that? Can you be saved not knowing that God exists and the Bible is His Word? You absolutely cannot. And you know that we live in a day and time where one out of every five Americans is, is non-religious, claims you know, no religious affiliation whatsoever. Many of them are atheists, skeptics, agnostics, or something else. And so you think it's important for us to be able to, to nail down. I mean, the most fundamental plank, you might say, pillar of our salvation is, you see, so often we just rush right into, well, how am I behaving in this life? And so let's just back up for just a moment and let's say, hey, let's remember that first of all, I can know that I'm saved because 
I can know that God exists and the Bible is His Word. Very quickly, and I do whole seminars on this, so I'm going to make this very quickly, okay? You might sit there and say, well, Eric, I don't know. I've never seen God, never touched God, never tasted God, never heard God literally speak to me. So how, how can I know that God exists? Well, just as sure you, you can know that matter did not get here on its own. I was reading an article several years ago by an atheistic evolutionist who gave all these possibilities for where uh, the Big Bang came from and where the universe came from and how it all started. And he gave all these what he thought were possible answers at the very end of the article, at the very end. He said, but you know, the truth is, the bigger question is, why is there anything at all instead of nothing? What he was implying was, if there was nothing at one point in time, what should there be today? Nothing. If there is no creator and there is no matter, then how did we ever get matter? See, matter demands a maker. Life demands a life giver. Design demands a designer. Complex functional design demands a designer. You know, when you look up the word design in the dictionary and then you think about the world in which we live, wait a minute, and then you think about evolution. The idea of... Um, uh, did I lose the back of that, by the way? Sorry. Okay, well, see, it might quit working again. Um, when you think about the word evolution, think about the word design, well, that, that, that doesn't work. Intentional, purposive planning is behind the design. Ask engineers. I would think of all people, engineers would be very ticked by how people talk about there, there could be all sorts of design without a designer. I mean, engineers do the designing, right? They're engineers. You have a car, you don't just have a car maker, you have a car engineer who engineered the car. It wouldn't work without it, without him, without her. Well, when I think about all the design in the world, wait a minute, it doesn't, evolution can't explain it. Time, chance, random processes, millions of years. Complex functional design, like we see all around us, demands a designer, not random happenstance. Intelligence demands an intelligent creator. We don't get intelligence from a rock. We don't get intelligence from nothing. Intelligence, if you, if you think about it, you, you can't think of anything that is intelligent in nature and then say that came from something unintelligent. Even my dumb dog has a measure of intelligence, okay? I mean, I can tell him to do his business outside and he pretty much knows to do his business. Now, he had to be trained to know that, right? But he knows to go outside. He has a measure of intelligence, and you know what? That didn't come from nowhere. It didn't come from nothing. It didn't come from, well, it came from a great designer. And on a much, 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 much greater scale, the Ben Carson brain surgeons of the world, are you telling me that his great-great-granddaddy and mine and yours was a dumb rock billions of years ago? Because that's what the theory of evolution says. Intelligence demands an intelligent... Creator morality demands a moral lawgiver. If there is such a thing as right and wrong, there has to be a standard of right and wrong. And if there is a standard of right and wrong, of good and evil, then there must be a standard giver. Okay? We could talk about that all night, but we won't. Okay, so just to make sure we understand, hey, I can know that I am saved because I can know that God exists, and I know that the Bible is His Word. Well, Eric, we could talk about this all night. We sure could, but let me just boil it down real quickly to one statement. We can know that the Bible is the Word of God because the Bible writers were correct about everything, which is humanly impossible. You might think you're correct a lot, and maybe you are. You might think you know most everything. You don't. But you might think you know a lot, and you might, but you don't know everything. 
And you're not right about everything. To err or err is what? To err is human. I don't know other than Scripture that there's much a truer statement than that right there. To err is human. You do much writing, you're going to make a mistake. You do much speaking, you're going to make a mistake. I think a lot of reason people don't do a whole lot of teaching and talking in public is because you just make a lot of mistakes. And then you just have to get over making those mistakes because we're not perfect. But the Bible writers, everything they wrote about the past, about the present day in which they lived, and about the future, about the future, they were right about it all. Okay, so if that's the case, that's humanly impossible. It doesn't happen. Listen, one of the reasons there's never a car at the house of this palm reader fortune teller that I pass every day on the work, way to work is because everyone knows people can't really tell the future. But the Bible writers did a number of times. Okay, so let's just make sure we got that out of the way because it's so important. We can know that we are saved because I can know, you can know that God exists and the Bible is His Word and that Jesus is the way to eternal life. We can't answer this question, brothers and sisters, and just not put enough emphasis on God, His Word, and His Son. Jesus is the way. Do you believe that Jesus is the way? How awesome is that? What I mean is the fact that you know the way. You know the way to where we're going. You know the way home. I know that Jesus is the way to eternal life because He never sinned. I know that Jesus is the way to eternal life because He willingly died in my place. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22 and verse 24. Wait a minute, Eric, I don't understand. Let's just take a quick step back then. I know that Jesus is the way because He is the only one who could make possible the salvation from sin, being saved from sin, the consequences of which we should have to pay, right? It all really goes back to the fact that our God exists, point number one, and God's nature is such that He is infinitely holy. He is 100% pure and holy. There is no darkness in our God. There is no tainting in our God. Our God is 100% pure. So much so that Habakkuk 1.13 says what? He is, he is of purer eyes than to behold evil. He cannot look upon it. That is, he cannot fellowship it. Sin separates us, Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2 from our God. He is 100% holy. When we sin, we have been tainted. And He's not only 100% holy, but He's 100% just and righteous. Now, is, is being pure and sinless a good thing? Absolutely, God is all good. That's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, only God is good. And so when the rich young ruler was talking to Him saying, um, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He said, why do you call me good? You know there's only one that's good, that's God. Jesus wasn't denying being good or God. I believe there he was wanting that young man, the rich young ruler, to understand who he was talking to because he's about to tell him something extremely serious. Go and sell whatever you have, give it to the poor and come and follow me? Who are you talking to? Who are you talking to me like that? Well, he's the good God. God is 100% pure and He's 100% just. You know, uh, just one verse I'll give you here. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 32, 
You'll see where, where Moses said in verse 4 that he is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways. All his ways are justice, a God of truth, and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. He is perfectly right. He's perfectly just. He's perfectly righteous. What does a perfectly just judge do? I don't know if we have any lawyers in here or judges in here. We had a justice appointed to the Supreme Court several months ago. We might have another one before too long. What do we expect from them? To be fair, to be just. You know, we don't want our judges, our local judges, federal judges, state judges, we don't want them to just let people who commit crimes to say, oh, well, you know, that's okay. I know you murdered 10 people last week in McDonald's, but um, we're just going to let you all go. They wouldn't last very long as a judge. Wouldn't be a good judge, a fair judge, a just judge. Well, wait a minute. If God is all holy and God is all just, and I have sinned and deserve punishment for those sins, how can I be saved? Our God is not a one-sided God. He's not a two-sided God. Our God is also what? He's 100% love. And so Jesus stepped out of heaven. Man, I'll tell you what. It's hard to step out of the house that you have cooled at 74 degrees in the summertime into the Alabama heat and humidity. I think I woke up the other day, it was like 89 degrees. Felt like, it said, feels like 103 outside. You know, you... Leaving the comfort of your home to go outside and just, uh, you know, have to work outside, it's not necessarily all that enjoyable when it's that hot anyway. Jesus left the comforts of heaven to come to earth to seek and to save the lost. And you know who that was? That was all of us. To seek and to save the lost. We had no hope. And here we are, 2,000 years later, talking about how can I know that I'm saved? Well, you know how I know that I'm saved? Because Jesus is the way. I know that. You know that. Listen, just knowing that is awesome. Have you ever been lost before? I'm talking about just lost, like you didn't know where you were. Those are frightening moments. And I've been lost in a building before when someone turned out, I mean, just in a building, okay? I knew, I kind of knew where I was in general, but the lights went out. I could not see literally my hand in front of my face. I didn't know how to get out of there. I was just, I was feeling all over walls. I remember going in circles. I was lost in a building and I was afraid. I've been driving. I tell you what, I was, you know, we, we get our GPSs and our phones and stuff and we, and we just, I went to, I was spoke at Maywood Christian Camp last night. I got there and I realized now the directions are not telling me how to get out of here. I have been driving through the middle of Iowa just hoping that my phone does not lose a signal because I have no earthly idea. I was, I, I was scared. I, I know that I could have gotten out of the car and just walked to someone's house in the middle of Iowa and just asked for directions. But I mean, I, had no, I, hadn't, I was really pretty dumb. I had not looked at a map. I was driving to Wisconsin, and I was just hoping it was all... You know, we get so spoiled in this day and time, right? When you know where you're going, doesn't that feel good? When you know how to get there, doesn't that feel good? And I mean feel good in a, in a real important sense. Not just, well, you know, I feel good today. But 
I mean, to be able to know that is great. Jesus satisfies the holiness of God, the righteousness, justice of God by His holy, sinless self who willingly died and took my place. Let me just uh, read from Hebrews here in just a moment after I read from 1 Peter 2. He suffered for us. Chapter 2, this is 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 22, He committed no sin. Verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His own body. He was the perfect sacrifice. He redeemed us. He bought us back from sin. Only He could do that. He did what no one else could do. It doesn't feel good to be lost, but it sure does feel good when someone shows you the way home. Salvation is one of those things, there's no way we could find the way, invent the way, or make the way ourselves. You can read this throughout the book of Hebrews, especially chapters 9 and 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, after there being some wonderful things said, such as Hebrews chapter 10 verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 9 verse 14, he offered Jesus, offered himself without spot to God. Verse 28, Christ offered, was offered once to bear the sins of many. Chapter 10, notice verses 19 and following. He did what no one else could do. Brethren, having boldness, we as Christians, we can have boldness, we don't talk about that much either, to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which I didn't do it, you didn't do it, but He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. We can. Let us draw near with a pure heart. Let us draw near, excuse me, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure Water. The, the text tells us that Jesus opened up the way into the holy place that we want to be. I can know, and the Lord will help us. He's trying to help us understand, know, and believe that I am saved because I know that there is a God. I know this is the road map from the being lost to being saved. I know that the, the good book, the, the map you might say, tells me that it goes through Jesus Christ who makes it possible, who makes it a reality. You know, it's as if that we, we were climbing a mountain. I haven't done many uh, mountain climbs. I've never done it with the, the rigging of ropes and all of that. I've climbed some mountains, but it was just where there's already a beaten path for you. and You know, you just got to huff and puff and work yourself up to the top. But... It's as if we were climbing a, a mountain where you had to have ropes and rigs and all the fasteners and all that. And we come to a point where it's humanly impossible to go up this vertical ledge to do what we need done for us to make it to the top of the mountain without dying. And it's as if that's when Jesus stepped in and made the journey for us and rigged it for us, put all the fasteners right in the perfect places, showed us how we could climb up to the most 
holy place. He did the work for us. In so doing, He lost His life. He gave His life. And He calls us to follow Him. Thus, because Jesus is the only one who never sinned, and He paid the price for my sin, and He did what none of us could ever do, may we more fully realize that there is absolutely no salvation in any other Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. And truly, He is the way to eternal life. He is the way to the Father. And what a blessing it is to know the way. Lord, help me to know that I'm saved. Well, He's given us evidence. Since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. He's shown us that He's real. His Word is real. His Son is the way. And I can receive His Son. I can receive what His Son has offered. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to be lost. We don't serve a God who created us because He wants us to be eternally lost. He created us in His image and wants to have a real relationship with us. Now, when we sin, that relationship is hampered. We do that. He's so holy, He can't fellowship. But He stepped in. His Son stepped in. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He gave His Son. So to me, the third logical question or thought is, have I received what the Son is offering? Well, what's He offering? To save the lost. He came to save the lost. He gave Himself so that we might have eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? eternal life. Christians are those who have received, freely received what God is willing and freely giving. Have I received it? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point other than to say, you know, uh, we can know that we receive the gift of salvation the way that Jesus said to receive it. You can read about the life of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? At the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, You can see, especially as I quote Matthew and Mark here, you can see that Jesus told His apostles that they would be inspired by the Holy Spirit. He would guide them into all truth. They would be preaching the gospel. They would be preaching the good news that salvation is in Christ, that there is no condemnation, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, in Christ that we become new creatures rather than dead in sin in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So He sent them out before He ascended back up into heaven and said, go preach the good news. Go teach the gospel. 
Go preach this to everyone. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Lord, help me to know that I'm saved. Well, have we done what Jesus said to do? After Jesus ascended up into heaven, the apostles went around preaching in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part, I think that's the King James wording, the rest of the world. And people were asking one of the questions that we started off with tonight. You know, what must I do to be saved? What shall we do? Hey, Lord, we've heard Jesus. You just, Peter, you just preached the good news about Jesus in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 16, we have Paul and Silas. They told the jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus. You'll be saved. And then they preached unto him Jesus. That's how we're saved. Through Jesus, right? He's the only way to the Father. He did what we could never do. How can I know that I'm saved? Because I know that God exists and the Bible is His word that Jesus is the way and I've done what Jesus said to do in that I've received the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life because I've been set free from the bondage of sin. Were the Israelites set free from Egypt? Did God deliver them from there? Yes, He did. Would it, could, could they choose to go back if they wanted to? They mumbled and grumbled sometimes and they kind of threatened to and God had to discipline them at times. We know what it means to go back into the bondage of sin. But Jesus is offering eternal life to people. And in the book of Acts, you just read, they, they would ask, what do we do now? What do we do? Well, yeah, Jesus is the way. Okay, so what do we do now? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What was it that Paul was told when he saw the Lord on the road to Damascus? He was told to go into to Damascus and it would be told him there by Ananias what to do to be saved. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You might say, well, Eric, I can understand all that. I can believe, I can repent, I can be immersed in water. That's what baptism, being baptized means. Now, some people will read this and say, well, Eric, why did God, why did the spokesman for God, the inspired apostles and prophets, why did they tell these people different things? That's a good question. It's a fair question. There's nothing wrong with that question. First of all, I would say, you know, if, if, uh, if I woke up this morning and God told me to do something, and I woke up and I took a nap, and I woke up after that nap this afternoon, and He also told me to do something else, do I have the right to say, God, I'm going to do one of those but not the other? Uh, is, the, is the attitude, the right, humble, obedient, submissive attitude, yes, sir, Lord, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. All that you tell me to do. But I believe there's a much better explanation to these differences here. All of these individuals, when you think about it, they were at different parts, different places on the road to salvation. You know, if a Muslim comes to me, if never heard of Jesus or never thought much of Jesus other than he might have been a good man, and he says, what do I need to do to be saved? You know what I'm not going to tell him? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Because it's not going to do him a look of good to get wet in water. That's all he's going to do is get wet in water if he doesn't know upon whom or through whom or in whom he's being baptized. Right? 
You know, if, some, if I'm in Jackson, Tennessee, and someone said, Eric, how do you get to Neosho, Missouri? How many miles am I away from Neosho? Well, you're 470 miles or so, something like that. If they call me back and said, Eric, how far am I from Neosho, Missouri? And I say, well, now you're, uh, you're 150 miles away. Why would I give them two different answers? Because I, I didn't tell you that I knew he, by that time he was already in Little Rock, Arkansas. But I gave him a di different answer to the same question. And if he asked the question again, I might give him the answer, well, you're about you know, uh, 90 miles away. I don't know for sure if these figures okay, are right. Or I, you know, but it, I, I might hear that he's in Fort Smith, Arkansas, closer to Neosho, Missouri. Different answers to the same question. It shouldn't be surprising that there are different answers sometimes to the same question if people are at different places on the road to salvation. The people there on Pentecost, they had just heard about Jesus. They were pricked in their heart. They believed. Peter knew that. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Paul, he had seen Jesus. He believed in Jesus already. He had been praying and fasting for three days. He was showing signs of repentance. What was he told to do to be saved? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I can know that I am saved because I'm walking in the light. You see, once we receive salvation, I don't understand, by the way, there's so much, oh, there's so much, uh, and I don't know if arguing is the word. There's, there seems to be so much arguing with God about what we need to do to be saved in the religious world, those who claim to be Christians or who claim to follow the Bible. I don't know why we can't just do everything the Bible says to do. Meaning, why can't we just repent and be baptized? Why can't we, Mark 16, 15 and 16, believe and be baptized? He said to do both of them. Why is that such a hang-up with so many people? I just want to do, don't you want to just do whatever the Lord said to do? He provided the way for salvation for us. We can know that we've done what God said to do to receive the gift. Listen, if my mom, if, if my mom and dad, bless their heart, they're, they're, uh, they still buy me Christmas presents, they buy me Birthday presents. I'm 42 years old. In fact, I'm their elder. I'm one of the elders in the church where they're, they're members in Wetumpka. And my mom just buys me all sorts of presents all the time. You know what would be totally inappropriate? If my mom said, Now, Eric, I, I, I want to give you this new suit. I think every suit I have, my mom is perfect. In fact, this coat I'm wearing, this is not even a suit coat. She bought me this coat years ago. You know, if she, if she wanted to give me a gift, she's done this, I don't know how many times. If she said, Eric, I want, I'm going to give you a, a gift. Now, I've purchased the coat, but you just need to pick out the right size. They've already charged my card. You just go down there and pick it up. Pick up the size you need. How wrong would it be if I just said, no, nope, I'm not going to do that. I want the coat, but I'm not willing to take one bit of effort, one bit of doing anything you say to do to receive the $100 coat that you're buying me. I said, why do we argue about it? Just, just be happy about it and be thankful for it. Take what Jesus is offering the way he said to take it. It's worth like more than billions and billions and billions of dollars. I mean, could you imagine if someone wanted to give you a billion dollars? If Donald Trump said, hey, I want to give you a billion dollars, Eric. I'm not going to argue with him, you know, how to go pick it up. 
I mean, if he said you need to go to the moon or something on the next rocket ship that's going, I probably wouldn't do that. But I'm just saying, I wouldn't argue with someone who wanted to give me a billion dollars and said, I need you to go to this location. I need you to sign your name. I need you to check in to, you know, with this person. Yes, sir, I'll do it. I'll take a billion dollars. Salvation's worth a whole lot more than that. I'll do whatever the Lord tells me to do. And then once I get it, by His grace, His mercy, His goodness, His offering of Himself, I mean... I have eternal life. I've been given eternal life. These things I have written to you, believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I don't have it in that realized final sense yet. But I'm saved. If you've done what Jesus said to do, understanding that Jesus is offering the salvation... It's not of our doing, not our plan. We wouldn't be able to do it. Never have been. Now in the last five or ten minutes, okay, Eric, I know that God exists. I know the Bible is His Word, that Jesus is the way to salvation. I've received salvation. Now, God wants us to continue onward and upward. And I suppose most often this is where maybe it can get a little hairy. Walking in the light. I can know that I'm saved because I'm walking in the light of the Lord and not the devil's darkness. You know, just as sure as we can faithfully run a race, we can faithfully walk in the Lord's way. What I mean is, any, anyone in here ever run a race, ever been you know, on a track team or cross-country team? You know that you, you have to listen to what people tell you to do to, to get into the race. Listen, I, I, I ran a lot when I was uh, younger. Uh, wasn't my favorite thing to do. It was kind of like to pass the time to be ready to play other sports. I, I liked playing. But uh, I was thankful that I could run and, and had friends. And, 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 you know, if we went to a meet... We had to do what they told us to do to get into the right races that we were supposed to run in. You had to check in. You had to follow the rules. But they weren't, you know, burdensome. Just stay in your lane, finish the race. You know, we were competing for earthly prizes, little medals, I remember. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I tell you what. We're not competing with it. The fun, one of the joys of this race is we're encouraging each other in this race. You know, I can, I can understand how to remain in the race. I can understand what those who are administering the race want me to do. It, it, you know, I, I've been a husband for 21 years. I love being a husband. And I know marriage is sometimes tough. But it's, it's not rocket science. Seems like to me throughout history what we see, if we will humble ourselves, not be prideful, be humble, and try. You know, if I love my wife, I'm going to be faithful to my wife. I, I understand that there can be painful, you know, Sins and, and uh, you know, problems in marriage. And I'm far from perfect, okay? I'm not saying that, you know, every day has been a mountaintop experience, you know, in marriage, but 
here's the thing. I, I've never understood how I can be married, and, and if you're married, you can be married. If you're not married, you might be married one day. And we can know what it's like to be a faithful husband or a faithful wife. It's not that hard. You know what my relationship with Jana is not? It is not a list of rules that I look at every morning to say, let me check this off and make sure that I was this way and this way and this way. I'm not saying that uh, there is anything wrong with any... God has given us a lot of details in Scripture. He gave the church, the, uh, the Christians in Rome, the, the church at Corinth, the uh, church at Ephesus, the churches of Galatia, gave them a lot of information about how they need to act, what they don't need to do, what they do need to do. And, and, and they, those are important to read and study and teach and preach. I get that. But for this point, for Lord, how, help me to know that I'm saved. Lord, help me to know I'm a faithful husband. Can I know that? I, I most certainly can. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. Am I, fa am I a one-woman man? I most certainly am. And I don't recommend, Paul didn't recommend 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that husbands and wives spend a lot of time away from each other. But I've spent a lot of time away from my wife through the years. In a given year, I might be away from Jana 40 or 50 days a year. I, I work every day. I'm, I'm gone from the office, I mean from home about 10 hours a day. But she's a faithful wife. I'm a faithful husband. Can I know that? I most certainly can. Am I a one-woman man? I most certainly am. I'm not saying that Satan has not ever or won't ever tempt me. Just like he won't, just like I'm not saying he, will, he won't tempt us to leave the Lord. He will. But can we be one Lord men and women? Can we be absolutely faithful? John has told us in 1 John chapter 1, I know our time is about up, so I'm going to go ahead and put both of these up here. John has told us about walking in the light and not walking in darkness. I'd like to close with this. Because to me, this passage just helps us to understand it's not a walk of perfection, but it is a walk of faithfulness. If we say, 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness... You know that, that Greek word there for walk? It has to do with staying in, lingering in. It being a habit. Walking in darkness, living in the light, two different things. But does walking in the light, living in the light, does that mean that I'm never going to make a mistake? No, he tells us right here. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. It continues to do so. And then he says this. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what do we need to do when we make a mistake? It's not a habit of walking in the darkness, but I'm a faithful husband. I've made some mistakes. Well, we confess those. We confess our sins. And in doing so, He's faithful and just to forgive us. I can know that I'm saved because I'm walking in the light of the Lord and not the devil's darkness. I know, I know if I'm a ser serious servant or if I am a slothful servant. You know, there was that five-talent, two-talent, one-talent man. 
The five-talent man, he was busy about the Lord's business. The two-talent man was busy about the Lord's business. And the one-talent man was slothful. He was not about the Lord's business. He was lazy. Can we know if we're lazy or if we're following the Lord? Can we know if we're walking in the light or walking in darkness? Can I know if I'm a faithful husband or a worthless, unfaithful husband? Can I know if I am... You know, in everyday life, there's all sorts of examples of how you know, we can know whether we're, we're, we're doing the job that's before us. We know that if we're playing the game the way the game is supposed to be played, and Christianity is much more than a game. But you know, the Bible says that Judas went to his own place when he died. I don't know for sure exactly what Luke meant there. It seems to me he meant that Judas went to the place he prepared to go. Where are we preparing to go? We're going to go to the place we prepare to go. I'm prepared. I believe you're prepared to go to heaven because there is a God. The Bible is His Word. Jesus is the way the Word says. He's offered us that salvation. And we can know if we're walking in the light of the Lord. And I'll close with this before the prayer. Brothers and sisters, if there is anything in your life or my life, anything, that we know, that we know deep down in our hearts that this is a hindrance to my salvation, that this is something I haven't yet given up and that's interfering with my relationship with the Lord who wants me to know that I'm saved, is that keeping me from knowing if I'm honest deep down in my heart? When that rich young ruler came to Jesus, he said, I've kept all these from my youth, all these these laws. Jesus said, one thing you lack. If there's something that we're lacking and we know it, God's given us the ability through repentance and confession to make that right. Because He is an awesome God, a gracious God, and He's rooting for all of us, every one of us, to go to heaven. He loves us so much. He gave His only begotten Son. He died for you and me. Let's pray. Almighty God, we love you. We're so thankful that we can know the way home, that you've revealed the way home to us. You have revealed to us that you have made that way possible. And you've revealed to us that we can know that we're walking along that way. Father, please help us to not just know it, Help us to experience it as we live it, day in and day out. We know it is the greatest life in the world. It's the greatest life in this life and most certainly in the life to come because it doesn't matter what happens to us in this life because after the very last breath we take, dear God, you have shown us, you've promised us another life. We know the wages of sin is death, but we know that you have given us the gift of eternal life through your Son in whose name we pray.